And we are in the second week of what is our five-part series on our vision that we've, that we've entitled Focus. The elders have gotten together and we've kind of worked out a new mission slash vision statement. Mission is what we do, what we're about, and vision is what we want to see. And what we came up with when we uh, started hashing out that vision statement was this. It says this, that um, our mission at River of Grace, our mission is to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. That's what we're all about. That That's what we are going to focus in on as a church. That's what we want to see in your life. We want to see you rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. And we want to see disciples made. So I want to ask you um, to say this with me. Ready? Here we go. Our mission is to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. Last week, I kicked off this series by talking about the love of Jesus. His love, this this love that, that before time began planned that we would follow him. In love, he predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. We talked about this love that is a resurrecting love that took us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and raised us to new life with Jesus. We talked about this love being a sustaining love. It's a love that carries us, and it's a love that forms and shapes us. It doesn't leave us as we are. It's a relentless love that will never let us go. But this week, we're going to turn and talk about making disciples. And to do that, I think the best place to start might be in Lordstown, Ohio. Now, you might be thinking, why are we going to Ohio? There was once a billboard I saw. I forget where it was. It maybe was in Pennsylvania. And it said, are you going to heaven or Ohio? Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but anyways, Lordstown, Ohio, if, you, if you've ever driven through, it's kind of not too far from Youngstown. If you've ever driven through Ohio and driven through Lordstown, you will have no doubt seen the Lordstown complex that General Motors built in from 1964 to 1966, it is absolutely massive. I've seen it a few times now, and I'm always just astounded at its size. See, this plant is 6.2 million square feet. That's the equivalent of around 108 American football fields. And since its opening in 1966, it's produced over 16 million vehicles. GM owned this plant until 2019, and they made all sorts of different cars there up to that point. The last one, I think, was like a white Chevy Cobalt, if I'm not mistaken. And then they sold it to Lordstown Motors, and Lordstown Motors was going to start making, um, they were going to start making electric trucks, and then um, it was sold to Foxconn, and there's some debate over what's going to happen there. GM has also had to pay out the town from tax breaks it received, and this was kind of this unsettled thing with the Lordstown plant. What's going to happen to it? Who's going to be employed there? What are they going to make? What is that going to look like? And you might be thinking, this is really interesting, Don, but what does this have to do with making disciples? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I think sometimes churches can function a lot like the Lordstown Motors plant. 
They keep changing. They lack clarity around they, they can lack clarity around whose church is it, and we believe that the church belongs to Jesus. They can lack clarity on what they are to make. And we see churches wither when they lack this clarity, when they don't know what they're going to produce, when they don't know what they're aiming for, what they're striving for. They can kind of dissolve and, and just wither. And we sometimes look at churches that have, that have grown weak, and we wonder... What happened there? Well, today, we're going to look at a really familiar passage. If you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you've probably heard it. And we're going to let it give shape to how we think about making disciples. And we're going to see really simply that God's mission is our purpose. God's mission is our purpose. And why this matters is if we're not clear about what we're doing, if we're not clear about what, we will mess up the how, as someone once said. And if you're not clear on what you're aiming for, on what you are to do, you're just going to flounder and produce all sorts of different things. So grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to back it up to verse 16. I know it says 18 up there, but we'll read 16 through the end of the chapter. This is what God's word says. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are are God who sent us out on mission So, Lord Christ, I pray that you would send your spirit upon us and press upon our hearts the urgency of the mission you have for the world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Little context from our passage, in case you're not familiar. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He had conquered Satan. He conquered sin. He conquered death itself in the greatest act of love that has ever happened in the world. He conquered it all and he rose victorious. And there are some disciples who have gone from being frightened and saddened by the loss of their leader. And now he is standing before them. And when he comes to them, when Jesus appears to them, he gives them a mission and the mission he gives them is a mission to go into all the world and make disciples. Because, friends, our God is a missionary God. Ever since the beginning of time, our God has been about saving the nations. He has been about saving the world. Ever since man fell in the garden, when Adam and Eve took the bite of that apple, God initiated a plan to save the world and to make disciples. 
And he has always been about, always, even in the Old Testament, he's always been about using his people to do it. Look at what he says in Isaiah 42, 6. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you, speaking about God's people, for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. This is God's heart. When God rescued the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt and brought them out of it with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, when he heard their cries and rescued them, it wasn't just to coddle them. It wasn't just to give them a home. It wasn't just to, it wasn't just to save them. It was, wasn't just to answer their existential questions about life and the meaning of it. But it was to exist as a light to all of the nations. God's people always existed for God's mission. That is his plan. And so we get to this passage when Jesus rose from the dead. And it shouldn't really surprise us then that Jesus is now sending his people on mission to the nations. He wants them to live as a light. After all, it was Jesus who said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God's people have always existed as a light for the world. You, brothers and sisters, exist as a light to those around you. The church, we exist because God has a mission. We exist because his mission is our purpose. Theologian Christopher J.H. Wright says this, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. That's why we exist. His mission is our purpose. God has created this mission, and you and I have the privilege of participating in it. And so we understand our identity as a church to be about the mission that God has, to be a light to the nations into the world. So practically speaking, what does this mean? Well, first thing, we're a church that we support missionaries around the world. We support missionaries in different countries, and you'll hear from them from time to time. And that's one of the great privileges we have. It's one of the ways we help get the good news out to the nations. The second thing is we're a part of the Acts 29 network. Now, some of you might know what that is. Some of you might not. But it's a network that uh, plants churches worldwide, and we get to be a part of that. And so we, we give about 10% of our money towards church planting in the United States and in the world. It is a great thing because we believe that, that God has a church for his mission. And so we participate in that. The other thing you've heard about, we pray about almost every single week in our service, is the Village Green Collective. This is a group of small town New England 
churches and pastors that have agreed to plant, partnered to plant small town New England churches together. There are so many towns in our region with no gospel presence, no Christian church at all. And we want to be a part of that. We're committed to being a part of that. And then finally, I would say that one dream we have is to plant a church in Henniker, New Hampshire, which is about 30 minutes west of here. There's a college there called New England College. There's no Christian ministries at this college, none. There's no gospel church in this town either. And we have taken kind of a long-term three to five-year goal of planting a church in Henniker. This is something that Elliot and Andrew and others have a heart for, and we have a, have a heart for as a church. And so we're partnering with Christ Community Church in Ware to make this happen, trusting that the Lord has people there that he wants to save. We care about the mission of God in the world. His mission is our purpose. It's why we exist. We care about the mission of God. We care about his purpose in the world. And that leads to our next point, our method. We are called to be on mission. Jesus commanded us to go. But notice something here. Jesus didn't command us to go and make converts. He didn't just say, just get people to agree to this. He commanded us, if you have your Bible open, he commanded us to go into all the world and make disciples. And the question is, well, what's that? We've used this definition before, but we're going to keep using it because I haven't found a better one. But Jeff Vanderstelt says, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus in the everyday stuff of life and teaches others to do the same. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus in the everyday stuff of life and teaches other to do the same. With every part of your life, in a hyper-segmented society that divides up our lives, we have our work lives, we have like our school lives, we have our, our home life, we have our neighbors, we have the people we do activities with. Jesus wants it all, and he wants all of it. And in every single sphere of our lives, it can be used to follow Jesus more faithfully. In the Old Testament, when God led his people out of Israel, it's written in Deuteronomy, it says this, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on your doorpost of your house and on your city gates. God instructs his people that his discipleship happens in the everyday stuff, in the walking, in the waking, in the, in the journeying together that, that all of it is meant to be used to follow Jesus. Jesus wants it all. And we also see from this passage that God has been about the formation of his people all along, right? God's people would be people shaped and formed 
by their love for him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Jesus, in our passage this morning, is calling us to make disciples. That's people who love him and live out that love in the everyday places of life. Jesus says, Go, therefore, make disciples of the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe or to obey everything I have commanded you. Our method is teaching others to obey, to observe what Jesus says, to rest, to walk, and to share in his love. This means a couple things, practically. It means we are messy people. Really, you are messy people. And I'm a messy pastor. We're broken. We're fragmented. We have the sins that we struggle with. We have the baggage we carry. We're products of our nurture, how we were raised, and our nature, who we are. We believe that Jesus wants to meet us in the messy spaces of our life and change us. And he wants, to, he wants to invade all of the spaces of our life, our parenting, our, our working, our relating to other people, our marriages, our personal life, our inner life. Jesus wants all of those spaces, and those spaces can be messy. But that's where Jesus wants to change. And by God's grace, we will be a church that embraces the messy reality of life, that we're sinners in need of a perfect Savior, that we don't have to put on a pose, that by God's grace, we can lead with not our best foot forward, but our worst foot forward and trust that God meets us there and that he wants to change us. We can be exactly who we are, knowing that Jesus wants to meet us. Grace meets us where we are, but doesn't leave us where it found us it means we're messy and it, because of our messiness it means we're also in process we will forever be in process as a people god's work of discipleship takes time and it will take the rest of your life i don't mean that to sound overwhelming to you but we don't rush people we recognize that change is a slow process that learning to follow jesus in every part of life takes time that learning to let him in to the various compartments of our heart takes time discipleship doesn't happen in a pressure cooker you can't like instant pot discipleship happens in a crock pot low and slow in a lot of time Jesus is changing into his image slowly but surely. So we embrace the process. One of our our value statements is we take the next step. And so we just ask ourselves constantly, like, what is the next step of life? What is the next step in following Jesus? And we just keep asking ourselves that. We are in process, and we recognize that. We're a bunch of messy people in process. Jesus is changing. It also means that God's methods are the best. This means we believe that the things God provides us in his word 
for making disciples are the things that we employ primarily. God has given us the spiritual disciplines, things like prayer, things like reading the Bible. He has given us confession of sin, fellowship with one another, hearing the word of God, and so forth. God uses those things and he uses our relationships in those places of life to change us. So we use his methods, the sacrament of communion and baptism. God uses the bearing of one another's burdens. God uses and he sends us the spirit to keep changing us into becoming more and more like Jesus. We're messy. We're in process. But we believe that what God gives us in his people and in his word are sufficient for following him. Which brings us to our final point, our motivation. The passage we read opens up when Jesus first appears to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's where we encounter the first motivation to follow Jesus in making disciples and in living as a disciple. All authority is his. It all belongs to him. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he didn't just go away, but he's ruling and reigning. All authority on heaven and earth is his. And Jesus is an authority worth following and trusting. So many of us have experiences with authority that's primarily negative, whether that's experience with authority that's negligent and not actually caring for us, bad parents that we that we may have had, abusive situations that we may have been in with people in authority. We have so many so much bad authority. Some of us have had really good authority, but we've had bad bosses, we've had we've had bad supervisors, we've had bad politicians, and we've even had In the history of the church, there's been some awful pastors too. Authority doesn't seem to be trusted. And Americans, we don't really like authority anyways. But Jesus is an authority worth trusting because all of authority in heaven and on earth is his. He's worth following. And what kind of authority does Jesus display and wield? He wields a sacrificial Authority. He demonstrates for us that he is worth following after. Jesus is the kind of authority that comes down to man to save them. He's the kind of king that goes down to his subjects to rescue them. Who bears his sins, our sins on his shoulders, on the cross. He is that kind of king. He was the perfect one that was willing to bear the sins of all the imperfect people upon himself. That's the kind of authority we have in Jesus. And that's the kind of authority that's worth following. There is no king like Jesus. You can trust him. He has a sacrificial authority. He will never use it or abuse it. But he also has final authority. There is no authority in heaven and on earth higher than Jesus. He is Lord. And when he comes to his disciples and says, all authority on heaven and earth is mine, he is not making a suggestion. He is making a declaration. It belongs to him. All rightful authority is his. He conquered death. He was 
dead, no pulse, no heartbeat, no air in those lungs. And he rose again. He defeated Satan. He defeated death. And he conquered your sin and the sin of the world. We have a victorious king and all authority belongs to him. You can't trump his authority. You can't run from it. It belongs to him. He subdued all his enemies under his feet. And friends, if, if all the authority in heaven and on earth belongs to King Jesus, then we can embrace his mission with confidence because he is in control and he is in charge and he's the kind of authority that was willing to die for you. And he's calling you and inviting you into life with him and into his mission. Because the world needs to hear that all authority belongs to King Jesus. It's his. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about Jesus. I don't know that he's Lord of everything. I don't know that I want him to be Lord of my life. Well, can I just tell you that you can try being your own Lord, but you will eventually end up empty and hollow and shallow. You can try being your own Lord, but you will fail yourself over and over again. Ever try to change on your own strength? Ever try to break a bad habit? It's hard. But only Jesus is the kind of Lord and kind of authority that can change your heart, that can make it new, that can give you new desires, that can change you from the inside out. You can try being your own Lord, but you will fail. You can try living for yourself and you will become hollow and empty, like I said. You can try living for other things. You can try living for wealth and see if it ever satisfied. But I've never met a wealthy person who is truly satisfied with wealth. You can try living for comfort, but the ease of comfort doesn't satisfy. You can try living for love, but you will not find a love deep enough to love you like Jesus can. You can live for all of those things, but they will keep demanding more and more of you. They're terrible lords. But only Jesus, only Jesus answers the deepest questions we have about life. Only in Jesus do we have the answer to our sorrow and our suffering and our sin and our brokenness. Only in Jesus do we have the the best answer for what's going to happen with the world that seems to be spinning out of control. Only in King Jesus do we find what we need for life. And he came to his disciples and said, all authority and on heaven and earth is his. And so I would plead with you to lay your life down before that authority because it is a good, loving authority. He's a good king who loves you so much and he is the only person who can satisfy. Jesus' authority is also motivation for us, brothers and sisters, to go into all the world. He is a sacrificial authority. He is a final authority. He has won. And so we can go into the world with confidence because it all belongs to him. And it all exists for him. His authority, the authority lies with him. 
But notice the other thing he says in the passage. The other motivation is his presence. I love how Jesus closes out this section and how Matthew closes out his book. And remember, I am with you. Always. Not some of the time. Not part of the time. Not when you can feel me. Not when you can sense that I'm there. But I am with you always. To the end of the age. This is our king who sends us on mission, but goes with us himself to the very end of the age. And as we go about making disciples in the world, as we pursue the mission that God has for the world, he goes with us and he reminds us that all authority is his. Friends, you have a mission field. You have your location, where you live, where you live isn't an accident, and God is with you there. You have your vocation. What do you do for work? Or where do you go to school? God is with you in those places. And his authority is even there. It's where you recreate, where you play, where you have fun. It's at White Park. It's at, it's at Rollins Park. It's wherever you go. It's in the White Mountains. It's, it's on your kid's sideline. It's on the field where they play. That's your mission field. And it's where there's need, restoration, where there's brokenness around us. These are your mission field. God has placed you there. And he promises that his authority extends to those places. And as his presence goes with you, and there are places that he joins you. When you walked in this morning, you probably got one of these. One of these cards, if you have it, you can pull it out now. And here's the thing, church. We exist to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. This is our collective mission, and this needs to be your personal mission too. And this is what we want to do as a church, is I want you to think of one person One person that exists in any one of these spheres. You don't have to think of 10. You don't have to think of all the unsaved people that you're friends with. Just one person. And I want you to write their name down. And I want you, because the Lord is with you and because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, to pray for this person. That they would come to know Jesus in his kind kingship. Put this somewhere. And there's little like prayer guide if you don't know how to pray, like for boldness to invite, for pray for awareness of sin, pray for a heart that repents and trusts in Jesus. Unless as a church commit to this, commit to praying and seeking opportunities because all authority belongs to Jesus and he goes with us into all of the places of our life. Let's be a church that cares about the lost, that cares about God's mission. Because we're so captivated by his love for us. Who is your one? Write it down. Stick it somewhere you see it. Let it be a prompt for you. And ask the Lord for opportunities to do that. You'll hear more about this as we do life together. Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You as the people of God 
you're invited into this mission. All authority on heaven and on earth belongs to him. He will be with you. He will go with you. And together, his mission is our purpose. It's all about the good news. The good news that Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. And he has taken our sins upon himself. He's defeated death itself. And he's defeated Satan as well.